Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. If John Newton were to be here this morning, I think he would really approve of Amazing Grace. If you watch his, the story of uh, William Wilberforce, actually it's a story about both of them, uh, you can't help but believe, boy, when Wilberforce finally got the slave tray stopped, that uh, John Newton felt the chains fall away. Can't help but believe that. And then as we sang, Jesus draw me nearer, boy, I, I could hear him singing in my heart boy uh, the treasures of the journey you know there man he's been through trials and, and if you see the movie and, and read his story you read of all the struggles that he had the nightmares that end every day in and day out he heard the voices of all those people that he had hauled over in the slave boat he heard them over and over didn't know their names you can't help but believe that he would love to hear that chorus, the chains have fallen away and I've been set free. Are you set free today? Are you set free from the bondage of the world, from the bondage of sin and, and slavery to sin? Boy, that's uh, one of the things that as we look at, uh, we're going through the book of Mark. We're in Mark chapter 3. We'll pick up in a few moments at uh, verse 20. But they had questions, and some today question, who is Jesus? Who was he? Was he a good man? And, and, but, you know, it's nice when you find a PowerPoint slide that you go out and you hunt, and it's like, that's it. Who is this Jesus? The world religions preach a false one. Is he a good man, divine spokesman, one of many gods? Is he a prophet, a religious leader? Who do you say Jesus is? We see there's confusion as we look at this passage. Boy, there is his family that was confused, and truly they needed the chains to fall off. They needed to be set free, but they struggled, and sometimes we struggle seeing Jesus as he really is. So as we prepare to read his, uh, this, these uh, verses in chapter 3, let's uh, stand one more time in honor of God's word as we uh, read chapter 3, verse 20 through 30. And he came home, and the multitude gathered again to such an extent that he could not eat a meal. And when his own people heard of this, they went out to take custody of him, for they were saying he has lost his senses. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying he is possessed by Beelzebub, and he cast out demons by the ruler of demons. And he called them to himself and began speaking to them in parables. How can Satan cast out Satan? And if a kingdom is divided against itself, 
that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not stand, be, will not be able to stand. And if Satan has arisen up against Satan himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but he is finished. But no one can enter the strong man's house and plunder his property unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins shall be forgiven, the sons of men, and whatever blasphemes they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin, because they are saying he has an unclean spirit. Our Lord God, we do ask that by your Spirit you guide us into your word, that, Lord, you would help us to uh, look as we look today at the unforgivable sin, to help us to understand that. Lord, to help there be no confusion, as there seems to be over and over as people consider that. Lord, hide me behind the cross. Lord, let not my stumblings interfere with the people hearing your voice. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Last week, so quickly review through this, we were looking at opinions of Christ, and today we come to that third opinion. But the first one was that Jesus was a madman. Uh, his own family, those who, uh, who he had been caring for, he was the eldest son. And so when Joseph died, he would have been providing for his family. And uh, they have come to take him away. They've come because they think he has lost his senses. And so we looked, A, a on your outline, you have an outline in your bulletin, at reactions of his family. And first we said that to their credit, they loved him even though they misunderstood him. They still loved him. They loved him enough to, to go because it says in our passage that he did not even have time to eat. Boy, so they were concerned about his physical health, about his mental health, about his spiritual health. And, and so they go. And they seek him out. And they thought that his belief or his religious zeal was way too radical because he had turned the religious establishment against him. Boy, today, some don't want to hear the truth of the Word of God. They want to take out bits and pieces. And I, will, I won't do that as I've done before, rip out a page here and there, because I've almost been hung by a bunch of students in a class that I ripped out a page because I said, well, if we're not going to follow that, let's just take it out and ripped it out, and they had a fit. I, I, they were throwing stuff at me, and this is a Christian ed class. How can you tear up the Bible? Don't we do that when we disobey the Word of God? Isn't it like we're saying, well, that, that passage doesn't belong there because surely Jesus couldn't mean that. And we find sometimes that our thinking is pretty radical too. If we live this word out, if we truly are obedient to the word, the world's going to have difficulty with it because we still are people that want to do what we want to do. We want to justify our behavior and we want to, to be released to do what we want. Not so different from then. Jesus comes against the religious establishment. Hey, this isn't the way we've done religion. This is not our traditions. And so they were against him. And the world's reaction, be on your outline, they believe he was a good man, even a great man, as we looked at some of the things on that first slide. He was a great teacher. He was a prophet. And some still think that today. But God? And they stop short. They can't see him as God. They'll see him as a good teacher. They'll see him as a good moral man. Boy, they're kind of like Confucius. You know, boy, if you read the works of Confucius, he has some really great things to say. 
They, they made sense. They were moral things. And you can look at people throughout time, you find good moral thoughts. But do they offer salvation? Did they give their life, as Gloria had said, in, in looking at uh, the Gospels that we've been reading through? Will they do that for you? Some might die for a good man, Jesus said. Yeah, for a good person. Boy, I might run out in the middle of the street for a little child, yeah. But man, that neighbor that's been dumping stuff into my yard, lets his dog go on my lawn, he's going to get run over. It's good for him. He deserves it. And we think that way. And we justify our poor negative attitudes. We justify just like the religious leaders of the day. And the results through time is how Jesus' followers have been treated. And we looked at uh, Paul, he's before Festus, the verses up on the wall, I believe, uh, Acts 26, 24. You're out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. And sometimes people think that. I think of Mother Teresa goes over to Calcutta. Yeah, just a little bitty woman. Boy, smaller than our smallest person. <laughs> and, and she goes over there, and people thought she was crazy. Why are you doing that? Man, you know, you can't change those people's lifestyle. But she went because the Lord told her to. She went because she cared. She went even in spite that she might get any one of the diseases that those people had. Sometimes today people think you're crazy. If you say, man, you know what the Lord did for me this week? Boy, it's just really incredible. Or like my friend that I share all the time, Terry, praise God for everything. You think, man, they must be out of their mind if that's all they do. And they think we are. But is that not giving glory where glory is due to the Lord who has provided over and over and over for all of our lives? And we're here today by divine appointment. Because the great God of the universe, it's amazing. I, I just try to get my head around that thought over and over before time began. Because he's outside of time. He looked down and said, hmm, let's see, today is the glorious night to pray. It's the 20th. It's an even day. <laughs> I pray odd days. She prays at night even days. And so the 20th. So he looks down through time before time began. And he said, look who's going to be at University Baptist Church. And he had divine appointment for you to be here today. I don't know why, except to hear his word, to challenge you and me and his, our thinking. And people will think you're crazy. Your great learning is driving you insane. Man, you're going to where? You're going to church? How You go when the doors are open? What, are you insane? Man, don't you have a life? And, and sometimes the world treats us that way. The second, Roman numeral number two, the second opinion, that was Jesus was a demoniac, and uh, we know that the misguided and false accusations were coming from the religious establishment because he was buffeting, he was coming against their teachings. They had put all these laws and rules in, in place that were making the people stumble even further from the word of truth. They said he was possessed, A, by Beelzebub. That would be the Lord of Flies, which is uh, significant to say that it was Satan, the Lord of Nothingness. And then B, in verse 22, they said that he drives out demons by the prince of demons, by the ruler of the demons. Finally, all that Jesus responds. 
You know, sometimes he'll just let us go on and go on in our lives. He'll let us stumble around out there because we want to we want to drive our own coach, don't we? I love westerns, stagecoaches, man. And you see, I, I know, I'm getting old, but you, you know, you see them driving them things and and breakneck speed, and you know, all of a sudden they crash. And I think, man, it is best to let the Lord have control of the reins of your life. But we struggle with that. We struggle because we want. And so he lets us continue. And I say over and over again, when you keep coming back to the same thing that you have been at a zillion and one times, I think you know what those are. I surely know what they are in my own life. That that's the Lord bringing you back to the place you need to make peace with. And that peace if you want the peace of God, you've got to have the peace with God, and that only comes through Jesus Christ. And so he'll continue to bring you back to that spot that you have not resolved yet in your life. And then, boy, he steps in. That's what Jesus does here. He has let them go on and go on. And you know, imagine them calling him who was the creator, the incarnate God, and they're saying that he was a demon and that he's casting out demons by demons. What an insult. How do we insult God? You know, we have to think about that in our own lives. So in verses 28 through 30, Jesus, he responds, and he gives them a chilling warning. And that's what we're going to spend our time looking at. I assure you, people will be forgiven all sins, whatever blasphemes they may blaspheme. When I was a, a kid growing up in the major church that I grew up in, and going six days a week to, to church to to services man if you if you use the name of the lord in vain you committed a mortal sin and you're going to hell and if you died and i lived in a place that people died walking out of the churches you know people actually got shot on the street and and those things happen and if you died and you had a mortal sin in your life you're going to hell there there was no reversing the process man you blew it couldn't even go to purgatory which is not in the bible but you went straight to eternity, lost from God. So what Jesus is saying here is incredible. We need to pay attention to it because he says, whatever blasphemes they may blaspheme. And then, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin because they were saying he has an unclean spirit. And here we have that doctrine of the unforgivable sin. And we pick, on, pick up on your outline at Roman numeral number three here. The question is, what is that unforgivable sin? Uh, the unforgivable blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. And first, let us look at what it is not. Sometimes it's best to look at what something isn't and then try to figure out what it is at that point. It's not cursing the Holy Spirit. As bad as that might be, as, as ugly as it sounds to take the Lord's name in vain. Don't know if you've done that. I remember talking to Amanda one day. We were going home from youth, and uh, that's my daughter. And uh, I don't know how we were on the tub, subject of language and that. And she said, Dad, you know, I've never, I've never heard you and Mom swear. And, uh, but sometimes those words pass through my mind. And she said, Dad, how, how do they get there? Well, we have a sin nature. The world speaks it all the time. Amanda, when she was just a little one, my mother justified, said, because my family talks that way, and said, that's okay, that's just the way people in Florida talk. And I had a fit. That's not the way people in Florida should talk. 
That's not the way anybody should talk. I talked that way in the past, and it was disgusting. And when this old guy in uh, there, Missouri, said to me, you know why people swear? And I was dumb and real dumb, and I said, why? Hey, don't ever ask, say that. Boy, you're, you're setting yourself up. He said, because they're ignorant. I wanted to rip his head off. How dare this old man call me ignorant? But the Lord was working on my life. I was not a believer. And he was working on my life, and that ate at me, and ate at me. And I realized what he was saying, that I didn't know a better choice of words to use. And so I just used trash talk. Even that is not blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Even taking the Lord's name in vain is as ugly as it would be. <clears throat> it's a vile sin, no doubt. It's not adultery, as we'd like to make it that. It's not sexual perversion. It's not being a Charles Manson or a James Bundy or any of the other John Casey that have done some of the most despicable sins you could ever think of. It's none of those. We would like them to be, wouldn't we? Boy, in our flesh, we want to condemn people that would hurt a child. Man, condemn them, burn them. It's like your neighbor if he lets his dog go on your lawn. You want to put it on his lawn, and people do that stuff, you know, because they're angry. doesn't make it the unforgivable sin. Be on your outline. Very simply, it is the ongoing, now, now catch that, the ongoing continual rejection of the witness of the Holy Spirit about the divinity and the saviorhood of Christ. It's a continual rejection about who Christ is. The Holy Spirit's working on you. Man, he worked on me for five straight years that I can remember, probably since I was little, but I, I, the five-year period when people kept telling me about Jesus and I was ugly and obnoxious to them. I had this young man that came to see me this week said, you really punched people out at the door? I, I'm not proud to say that. I really did those things. I really was that ignorant and mean to people. I was rejecting the work of the Holy Spirit. Had I continued to reject the work of the Holy Spirit, had I died rejecting the work of the Holy Spirit, had I died not coming to Christ as my Lord and Savior, I'd committed, at that point, an unpardonable sin. I would have gone into eternity without Jesus. It's the perversion in the heart that chooses to call light darkness and darkness light. And that's what I was doing. I'd say, get stoned with me, and I'll talk to you about Jesus till we're blue in the face. But if you won't get stoned with me, I don't want to hear it. That's saying that light is darkness and darkness is light. That's saying, boy, if I can justify my behavior, it's saying that my lifestyle is okay. And yours is wrong. You join my lifestyle, and that is a difficulty in today's world. It's hard to be a Christian in a non-Christian world because of the allure of all the world's toys and trinkets that keep pulling us in and pulling us in. Why do when kids go graduate high school that have been in your church and been in youth group every day, every Sunday, and all week, you know, they go, why do they fall away? Because the trinkets of the world are out there. You have people saying that God's dead, that, that to be, be a Christian is foolish. You're just, you know, raining on your parade. You don't have freedom. And we buy into those things, and before you know it, we're living that lifestyle. 
In continuing the rejection of the witness to the Holy Spirit, whether that witness be quiet witness in the conscious or be a rational witness by the world around us, or even miracles, it's rejecting Christ's work. That's what they were doing. The scribes here were at that very brink of committing this sin because they were saying that the Holy Spirit witnessed to Christ through his exorcisms, through his miracles, the feeding of the 5,000, the freeing of people. They were saying that those things were the work of Satan. Light is darkness and darkness is light. And moreover, they were persisting in that blasphemy. Verse 22 indicates the religious authorities were no longer silent. Boy, they weren't just talking among themselves. Now they're speaking it out loud. Now they're really trying to influence the people, the general population. And they began to accuse that Greek word here, elegon. Uh, it's an imperfect tense. And it has the sense that they were repeatedly over and over saying this about Jesus. That he was doing this by the powers of darkness and not by the power of light. If their attitude had become permanent they would have crossed the line. And Jesus, because he loves them, because he loves you and he loves me, he sets up these divine appointments for us to hear the word of God. Because he loved them, he continued to confront them. Now, we, we kind of get the perspective that he was just out to get them. Man, I'm going to burn them because look what they're doing. That was never Jesus' attitude. When Jesus was angry, it was a righteous anger. It was an anger because of their hardness of heart. You back up a little bit. When they were angry on the Sabbath because he healed the man with the, the withered up hand, that was a hardness of heart. It says that Jesus looked around at, in anger. Not angry like you and I because somebody stepped on my toe or somebody's dog pooped on my lawn or something like that. That's not it. It was an anger because of the way that they were treating the man who had a great need. See, have there been people who have committed the unforgivable sin? Boy, you're, you're looking at this. You got Have there people that have done it? And the answer is absolutely yes. There are people that have committed it. There have been men and women who have rejected the Spirit's testimony regarding their own condition. Boy, I did that for five straight years, rejected. Everything that people said about the, my lifestyle, I didn't want to hear it. And I wanted to continue on, continuing on what I was doing because I thought what I was doing was having fun, even though most times I woke up wondering what I did the night before, how I embarrassed myself, who I had hurt, who I had done other things with. I, I was concerned about that because that's the way I was living. Such people have ranged from gross sinners to a sophisticated person. Here's a story of, uh, about uh, Pastor Hayden. He's the founder of the radio program Change Lives. don't know if you've ever heard it. I used to listen to it. it went, before I became a Christian, it was real interesting. God began working on me. I grew up in the inner city of Chicago, and there was the Midnight Pastor, Old Town Chicago. And I, I used to hang out in Old Town and, and go down there, and I, I hear him on the radio, come on at midnight. And, and he'd say, now, if you ever want to talk to me, I'm walking the streets of Old Town from 8 o'clock at night till midnight when I do my radio show. And he had his, his radio show there. And, and one day, man, I, I couldn't take it anymore. I drove down there and I followed him around. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> 
Chumba. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I never once talked to him. I was too afraid. I was too afraid that I might lose what I thought was freedom, what I thought was a, a pretty cool life. And so Ben Hayden, several years ago, was visited, uh, went to visit a, a man in the hospital, got a call at 3.30 in the morning, 3 in the morning, and he said that uh, this friend of his, a man that he knew very well, was dying and didn't have much longer to live. So he goes to the hospital, and he asked the man, how is it between you and the Lord? The man says, I've always believed in God. I know everything is, in, is ship shape. What do you believe about Jesus? I've known God all my life, and I've tried to observe godly standards. I've been honest in business, and I've worked hard. My friend, said Pastor Hayden, I wouldn't be here if it were, you weren't my friend. And now answer me a straight question. How is it between you and Jesus? The man replies, I've never had a place for, in my life for Jesus. I don't believe in Jesus. If I were to believe in Jesus, I would, it would upset everything in my philosophy and life, and I would have to rethink everything about me. By the grace of God, Pastor Hayden said, you have that kind of time right now. Right now. Rethink it. No, he said, I will die without Jesus. Why then do you think Jesus died, said Pastor Hayden? Oh, I understood that he died for sins, your sins, said Hayden. Perhaps, perhaps, but it's too late for me to rethink the place for Jesus. And he died without asking Christ to be his Lord and Savior. My father went to church all the time. He was a treasurer of the credit union. He served in various functions in the church. And yet I knew he didn't know Jesus personally. And it was on his deathbed that he finally accepted Christ. Had he not, he would have gone into eternity away from God, separated from God, having committed the unforgivable sin. Because it's without Christ. If I reject Christ over and over, and I've had this opportunity, how do I expect to get to heaven? Now, see, universalism, everybody's going to get there because we've got a God of love. He's a God of happiness. Yes, come on down. It's okay, whatever you're doing. It's not okay. It's not okay to know Jesus and live that lifestyle that we've lived in the past. Boy, Scripture says over and over, don't you know that you're a new person? The old has passed away. Put on the new. Over and over we see that in the New Testament. C.E. Cranfield, he's a New Testament scholar and theologian. He notes that the unforgivable sin, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, is a sin that requires knowledge. I thought it was very interesting. A sin that requires knowledge. The scribes and Pharisees had knowledge of God. They, they were the keepers of the Old Testament. They were the translators of the Old Testament. They were the ones that copied it. Every jot, every tittle. And if it had one that was missing when they counted, can you imagine? I want you, if you just take the Old Testament, let's see. Okay, you're going to take this much, and I want you to go home and count every word, every comma, every period, and count them. 
Man, that'd take you a long time. And then if you found one of those things, the number when you got to the end of it was not the same as what the previous one was, you had to tear it up and start over. Man, I tell you, you would be very careful. That's who these people were. Man, they were the ones that were copying the Word of God, who were studying the Word of God, who were supposed to be teaching the people. And he's saying that, boy, they had knowledge and it required them to know. So he continues, the scribes whom Jesus warned were the accredited theological teachers of God's people. Their daily business was scriptures, and they were therefore subject to constant witness of the Holy Spirit who inspired scriptures. He then concludes, If we have been following the right clue, then it means that those who particularly should heed the warnings of this verse today are the theological teachers and the official leaders of the church. We take it even the next step further. Since Paul says that we're a kingdom of priests, if you're a Christian, then each one of us is accountable for that witness and for that word. Canfield's right. It's not the ignorant blasphemer out on the street. Oh, they're accountable to the Lord for either accepting or rejecting Christ. But they might not know the word, and that's where we have that responsibility to witness to them and to go to all the world. Imagine, you know what, if, if people said, you know what, I don't want to go talk to Chris Costa, man. God, he's a jerk. <laughs> they have been right. Man, he, man, he partying all the time, and he'd be ignorant, and, and you go to his door, and he's liable to slug you. You know, you, the guy is unpredictable. Tell everybody, put a, man, put a note on top of his door. Idiot lives here, don't share Christ. Imagine if they had done that. I wouldn't be here today. Those that have been in my youth group when I was down in Burley might not be here today. The people that Christ has allowed me to share him with and to lead them to the throne of grace might not be here today. Man, it's an incredible thing to think about, the responsibility that we have. This warning is particular to those who have grown up in the church and may even have some theological education but willfully reject in their heart the truth of Christ, and don't call upon him. I went to school on my master's degree with a fellow named Ted. Ted had been a Mennonite pastor. That's pretty fundamental. And uh, Ted and I were eating lunch one day at his house. He was vegetarian now. Don't hold that against him, but gosh, I could have used some meat. <laughs> and Ted began to tell me how he lost his faith and how he no longer believed. I said, man, Ted, you're a pastor. And I was a brand new Christian. I was pretty young at that time. I said, you're a, you're a pastor, a man that's accountable to the Word of God, and, and you're to be teaching the people. He said, I was doing a Bible study, and in doing that Bible study, I realized I came to the reality that there was no God. It was evolution, and the whole God thing is a sham, and the Bible is just a story about myth, and that's it. You couldn't have slammed me upside the head any harder than that. I said, Ted, do you realize what you're saying? Man, I, I'd been a Christian for only a couple of years. I said, do you realize what you're saying? You are rejecting the Holy Spirit. Could you ever have been a Christian? He said, I could never have been a Christian. I was just having a job. Man, I have to tell you, only the Lord truly knows his heart. But by the things that he was saying to me, it's like, man, he is committing this unforgivable sin. 
He's, he's rejected all the work of the Holy Spirit, been through seminary and everything, and he was rejecting it all. Here's some, I've had Christians ask me, do you think I've committed the, the unforgivable sin? I've had that asked a lot of times. In fact, I remember uh, I went to a pastor, <laughs> Gloria doesn't even know it, in North Platte, Nebraska, at her brother-in-law and sister's church. First time I ever heard the message preached on the unforgivable sin. That's a long time ago. <laughs> That's probably about 27 years or so ago. And I asked him about that. I wanted to hear more. I wanted to talk to him about that. Because I was concerned. Man, I mean, the lifestyle I lived was horrible. And here's my interpretation of what he said, is what I wrote here. To those who are afraid they've committed the, the sin, we can say it's up on the wall, too, with absolute confidence that their being so troubled is infallible testimony that they have not committed the unforgivable sin. What a great answer. <laughs> I couldn't have come up with a better answer myself. Than what, I can't even tell you the guy's name anymore. But I remember that. Man, if you are afraid you've committed the you know, how could, you're, you're, you're saying before God, man, God, I don't want to commit this sin. I, I want to be right with you. And it's that taking that step of getting right. And if you've never asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, then you're at that point now of hearing this, thinking, I don't want to be there. I don't want to be in eternity without God. You know, does anybody know the time or date that they're going to die? I don't know if you heard about what happened in Oregon a couple of days ago. An accident. Car went off the road. Semi hit the car. The people were out looking at the car, and another guy, another car would come, lost control, and killed a little girl. Ran into the people, and a little girl died. We never know the time that the Lord's going to stop our heart. You see, I, I, I firmly believe our heart's in his hand. He breathed life into us, and, and so I believe that that's kind of where our heart's in the very hand of God. And, and God's doing this on my heart right now. And if God were to do this right now, I'd be dead because God's in control. God is the one that determines the time for a person to come to die. And we have a hard time with that sometimes. It's unjust. It's unfair. Why did that little girl get killed? Why does a baby die shortly after birth? I don't have the answers for that. Except I know God is a benevolent God, a loving God, and that child didn't have an opportunity to confess him. And I look at what David writes about his baby that died. He says, why should I cry anymore? Why should I, I fast and, and throw ashes on my head? The baby's dead. I can't change that, but I will see that child again in heaven. You see, there's that belief that God is the one that takes care of those young ones. Note that as vile as the blaspheme of the scribes was, Jesus had, did not say they had committed the unforgivable sin. What he's saying is they are in jeopardy of committing this unforgivable sin. If someone cares at all, though, uh, though his or her sins may be the worst, there is hope. If they care that they're worried about that sin, if they're concerned, boy, there's the possibility of saving grace for them. One other point is that if you come to that point, if my father would not have asked Christ to be his Lord and Savior on his deathbed, he would have died without Jesus. I mean, that's, you know what? That's, 
just life. That's the way it is. That's sometimes, boy, that's kind of hard, Pastor. No. That's not my choice. I didn't choose that. I shared with my dad and shared with him. I had shared with my parents for years. And, uh, you know, I, I thank God that eventually they both came to him as Lord and Savior. My dad on his deathbed and my mom, a few years before she died, she came out for my 50th birthday. And we bought her a Bible that was a, a readable one, uh, NIV language, a large print. And uh, she never told me she had asked Christ to be her Savior. I found out on her death when, when I was doing her funeral, after I finished, her neighbor who was sitting where Vicky is said, Sonny boy, and that's what my family has always called me, so she had to know my mom real well to call me that. <laughs> and she said, I want you to know that a few years ago, your mom knelt down on my living room floor and prayed to receive Christ. Man, I was whoop of glory in God. I was charismatic, man. I was sheesh. I was doing the, the African bounce, man. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man, I was jacked up. I was excited. And then when I went to her apartment and I found the Bible that Gloria and I had given her and I found notes. And she found places that talked about eternal security in the Old Testament that I didn't even know. And that blew me away, floored me. And she had post-it notes there at each passage about eternal security. I wish she would have told me. I would have rejoiced with her. If she had never prayed that prayer and asked Christ to be her Savior, she too. It doesn't matter how many times you go to church. It doesn't matter if you're at church six days a week like I grew up. It doesn't matter if, like one of my grandmothers who made altar cloths and that for the church, if she didn't know Jesus Christ, man, you could tithe, you could give gifts to the church, you could do everything, but without Christ, you're lost. It's not my choice. It's not my decision. It is God's decision. He has sent Christ to die for you and me to be our Savior. And it says, if we'll, Paul writes in Romans, if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart, we will be saved. Again, not my words. It's Paul's in Romans chapter 10. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, he said, God demonstrates his own love for us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died. And he died for sinful people. Well, closing, Mark had presented two unacceptable opinions regarding Christ. The first, the most charitable, that he was out of his mind. Uh, the second was that it was less charitable. He's possessed by uh, the devil, and he's casting out demon, or the demons by the devil. But this third, it, it, it presents us with what's called the great trilinium. Boy, it's actually a word, the great trilinium. And that's the third option, and it leads to a third choice. You have to choose. Either Jesus was a lunatic, out of his mind, or he was a demoniac, a liar, or he was God. He gives us no other choice. In fact, he uses the name of God, and he says, I am. Boy, that's pretty significant. And, boy, you know, people say, well, he was a prophet, a good teacher, but how could he fulfill all of the prophecies of the Messiah. He couldn't determine when he was going to be born. He couldn't determine where he was going to be born. He couldn't determine the woman he was going to be born to or how that would happen. And, and when they went to Egypt, he couldn't have influenced that at maybe two years of age, maybe three. I've never seen a three-year-old tell their parents they need to move to a foreign country. <laughs> He couldn't determine 
so many of the prophecies that he fulfilled. So you come to that, that point. Is he or isn't he the Son of God? Schaefer, Philip Schaefer, another eminent theologian, writes, The hypothesis of imposture is so revolting to moral as well as common sense that its mere statement is a condemnation. How in the name of logic, common sense, and experience could an imposter, that is a deceitful, selfish, depraved man, have invented and consistently maintained from beginning to end the purest, noblest character known in history, with most perfect air of truth and reality, how could he have conceived, successfully, carried out a plan of unparalleled benefits, moral magnitude and sublimity? How could he, if he was strictly an imposter? So what do you believe about Jesus today? Been concerned about the unforgivable sin? Boy, I would hope that that is put the rest for you. Jesus Christ is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He is the intelligent uh, intelligence, the framer of the universe, the creator, the architect, and the vehicle uh, and, of the incarnation. Incredible to believe that. And he is supremely sane man. And if he is a supremely sane man, and, and all sanity resides in him, we would be foolish to reject him. We'd be foolish. It's an exercise in sanity to trust Jesus. It's a growing sanity to commit your life to him and to walk in obedience to him. And Paul writes in, in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, boy, to present yourself. Are you willing to do that today? Present me, all, boy, just as I am. Great song. Just as I am, I come. You know what? I was an ugly, nasty sinner, deserving of death and eternal separation from God. <laughs> and yet he called me. It, it sometimes just floors me. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Not dead. He wants you living. Give yourself to him today, holy and acceptable God, which is your reasonable service, your reasonable worship. The supremely sane life is one that is totally committed to Jesus Christ. Perhaps you haven't stepped into that spiritual sanity, that spiritual reality, but you realize at this point that, boy, either he is or he isn't, and I must decide today. I would hope that you would decide today to follow Jesus. On the screen is a short prayer. Take a look at that. I had to come to that point in my life. I had to come to that point where, gosh, I need you, Lord. I need you. If Jesus, if you're God, the Son of God, I don't understand all that stuff. I don't understand. I can explain to you and give you examples of the Trinity, but it's beyond human mind. How does the, the finite grasp the infinite? Only as we gain more knowledge of God do we begin to understand a little bit more. And I had to come to that point. I believe that you are who you say you are. I believe that you are God. I believe that you died for my sins. I rest my hope of eternal life in you. Lord Jesus, open my heart and my mind to the fullness of your grace. Teach me your ways. I've got to tell you, 
the, the last part of that is still my prayer today. Man, my hope, it, it rests, my eternal life rests in Him. And I still pray, Lord, open my heart and my mind to the fullness of Your grace, that I would gain more of You, less of me. As John the Baptist said, I must decrease that He must increase in my life. That when I look in the mirror, I see more of Jesus. When my neighbors see me or you see me, you see more of Jesus than you see of me. I pray that my family, who so many of them don't believe, I pray, pray that they would get past my past. <laughs> they can't, some of them can't get beyond my past and see what God has done. And that's a heartbreak for me. But I pray that God brings other believers into their life that hear the word of truth. Because I believe God has divine appointments. You can reject it or accept it. And the same is for them. Let's pray. Almighty God, we come before your throne where you tell us to come boldly. Uh, how many rulers? Boy, I can't imagine me going over to England and Queen Elizabeth say, Hey, Chris, you come in here boldly. <laughs> Lord, I don't think that would happen. Too many guards would, would keep me away. But Lord, you have opened heaven's doors. Ripped the veil that separated the, the sanctuary, the inner, the holy of holies, that we might enter through Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And I thank you, Lord, that you'd say, come boldly now, if you're a believer, come boldly, that you might receive grace and mercy. And if you're an unbeliever, he says, come, and, and boy, fall on your knees and, and recognize him as Lord and ask him to be your Savior. And he will. And then he says, oh, come. There's much grace and mercy waiting for you. Lord, speak to our hearts in this time as John plays in uh, a moment here. I'll be on the side. If you would like me to pray with you, I'd be more than happy to do that. If you've never asked Christ to be your Savior, boy, I would urge you to do that today. And if you're a believer and you've been struggling in your faith, boy, let another that has struggled pray with you. And that two may pray together in agreement, Lord, we want to live for you, trusting and believing that he will do that.